Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everybody, to our political debates and panels day. Thrilled to have you here. We're going to get it started quick with this first debate between Destiny and Infrared. And with that, thank you very much, gentlemen, for being here. The floor is all yours, Destiny, for your quick opening. And then Infrared will follow with his quick opening. And then we'll jump right into open conversation. But thanks so much, Destiny. The floor is all yours. For only being in office for one year, I think Biden has some pretty uh, good legislative accomplishments behind him. And what he's been able to do as president through executive action and through his guidance as a leader, I think has been more successful than most would have thought. I think the second round of stimulus, the child tax credit that cut childhood poverty in half, um, meeting and beating his expectations for the amount of vaccines that he wanted in the uh, population, and then getting the infrastructure bill passed, I think the largest infrastructure bill passed in the history of U.S. legislation, um, I think have all been pretty big achievements for Biden's current agenda. I think that there are some problems that are going on right now, but people like to blame wider economic problems on the president that he can't exert much control over. But all in all, I think for the first year, I think Biden's had a really successful year in office. So... Uh, when evaluating the um, performance of a president, to me, the standard to which we should hold them is not the alternative president that could have been elected um, before they were in office, but uh, their decisiveness, their boldness, and their ability to make uh, decisions that are proportionate to the crisis uh, facing the country. So with, in that regard, I don't want to compare Biden and um, evaluate his performance by just saying what would Trump would have done or uh, what would an alternative president do. I think the question is uh, how have other presidents in the history of this country responded to their respective uh, crisis facing the country? Uh, how have they exercised the decisive and bold leadership befitting of uh, the office? FDR with his New Deal, uh, Eisenhower with his national highway system, uh, JFK with uh, the moon landing, uh, Lyndon Johnson with his Great Society, et cetera, et cetera. Has Biden been able to exercise a comparable level, level of uh, leadership to these presidents in the midst of not only similar but far more overreaching uh, <coughs> crisis? Uh, who, yeah. Um, it, so it's hard to compare. I, I guess, I, so I guess when I'm trying to evaluate the successfulness of a president, I'm seeing what are his goals and then has he accomplished those goals as best as he can. Um, whether or not any individual president will on his own live up to the highest and best qualities of every president prior. And then if we better try to guess what those presidents do in, in today's society, I think is a little bit misguided. Um, FDR had massive margins in the House and the Senate. So to compare anything FDR does to Biden, who is sitting on a 50 to 50 vote split in the Senate, I think doesn't really hit the mark. Um, 
In terms of decisive and bold decisions, I mean, we could talk about actually committing to the withdrawal of Afghanistan, something that a lot of people thought wouldn't happen and would get uh, kicked down the road again. But I think Biden went ahead and he pulled the trigger on that, which I would say was both decisive and bold. Um, I, I guess what I'd be looking for is what, what area right now in Biden's administration realistically could he have made a better decision than he has made? And is it realistic that we would have expected him to make said decision? Uh, in regards to FDR, um, he had massive margins in the House and, and Senate, but the question you have to ask is why? FDR himself was actually facing resistance from conservative Democrats, and yet in contrast to Joe Biden, FDR pursued a vigorous campaign to basically, uh, in a way not too dissimilar from Trump, uh, force those Democrats to fall in line with his agenda. Um, he didn't say that we're scared we're going to lose the... Uh, they're going to lose to Republicans, so we have to c be conciliatory towards them. Um, so the re one of the reasons FDR was, uh, had all the margins that he did was because he was an authentically popular president. Um, and people were scared to go against his agenda because it was so popular among uh, the Democratic constituency across the board. In regards to Afghanistan, I agree that it probably is the only, in my view, good thing Biden has done uh, in terms of foreign policy throughout his administration. But his intentions are questionable, to say the least. I'm not sure how uh, bold and decisive uh, this decision is in lieu of the geopolitical situation. May, would it have been inevitable uh, regardless? Who knows? Um, as far as decisions Biden could have made that he doesn't make, um, one has to take a broad perspective and ask, for all of the things that Biden is, um, all of the obstacles he's facing within his own party, why is Biden unable to exercise the necessary leadership to make Democrats like Joe Manchin and, and Sinema fall in line? Other presidents have been able to do this. Even Trump was able to do this. Uh, because I agree that Biden has a lot of things he wants to do on his agenda, like the Build Back Better program, but we agree he's not able to do it. He's not able to exercise or fulfill his campaign promises, and he's conveniently able to blame uh, this 50-50 uh, split. Um, so let's, uh, I guess, I'm going to aim for shorter responses, and we'll try to drill down on a few of these. So when we talk about FDR and we say, well, he didn't have to be, why, why is Biden so conciliatory? The implication here is that Biden is making a mistake by moving more towards the center to try to bring together the left and right to pass legislation. Now, I would argue that the infrastructure bill passing with some 15 Senate votes of Republicans is an example of that being successful. Um, if you're saying that his policy platform should have been a little bit more left-leaning, I mean, like who, like Bernie Sanders? Because Bernie didn't even make it out of the Democratic primary. Why would we expect that a more left-leaning platform would have had any more success in modern-day politics than Joe Biden's platform? I'm only referring to the platform that he ran on and the platform that he himself committed to passing. As far as more left or more center or more right, I don't think it's very relevant. It's what did Biden promise and why is he, able to un, uh, why is he unable to fulfill uh, his own promise? As far as the infrastructure bill is concerned, the initial target was what, 3.2 trillion and it shaved down to what, 1.2? I mean, I don't think the infrastructure bill is, is any accomplishment whatsoever. This is the, uh, how should I say, uh, this is the regular type of upkeep that any type of modern advanced government 
should be doing with regard to its, its infrastructure, as far, as far as like the sweeping changes that would be necessary uh, to actually upgrade our infrastructure for the new era, it, it fell short. Uh, I don't see why a country who's a modern, advanced, and developed country, supposedly the wealthiest country of the, in the world, why is it an accomplishment that we have uh, sort of upgraded our infrastructure or at least replaced the old decaying, uh, like why did we have decaying and rotting infrastructure in the first place, I think is a better question. I think that where a lot of the criticisms you seem to have of Biden are actually criticisms, I think, of the American public. I don't, under, I don't know how I'm supposed to get it. So Biden is the leader right now of probably historically one of the most divided Americas that have existed since probably the Civil War. Uh, you have a lot of criticisms in regards to like, why haven't we done this or why haven't we done that? Well, the American public is super divided on it. Um, you know, Trump said that he was going to pass an infrastructure bill. He wasn't able to do it. Uh, Biden said he was going to pass an infrastructure bill. He was able to do it. Now, the original figure, which I think, I think, um, I think Bernie actually had one that was north of $6 trillion. Obviously, it didn't get passed. It had to be negotiated down, but something was passed. And what was passed was the largest infrastructure bill by dollar amount in U.S. history. Uh, could it have been more? I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm just not seeing the ability of Biden to navigate the Senate as it exists right now in a way that would have allowed him to do more. You talk about, like, why isn't he able to bring certain people in line? You, you mentioned that um, Biden seems to have a unique challenge with cinema or with mansion. I don't think it's very unique at all. Um, I think we were one vote away from the public option under Obama because of Lieberman in the Senate. That was just one senator. And then I think both Bush and Trump had a lot of problems getting stuff done in the House because of the Freedom Caucus. There have historically always been these like groups of people that have existed inside of the Senate or the House that form kind of their own little caucuses that can be uh, a roadblock to whatever leader is in office. I don't think that Biden is facing a unique um, unique pressure right now that nobody else ever has. And again, especially when you literally have a, a zero to one vote lead um, by the tiebreaker in the Senate, I don't think it's that crazy that one or two more moderate senators could pose a significant hurdle to getting legislation passed. I don't think it's a fair critique of Biden. So why can't Biden, uh, at the very least, publicly and vigorously denounce and support alternative uh, candidates to people like Manchin and, and Cinema? Because Manchin and Cinema, Manchin is probably the only Democrat that's going to win in West Virginia. That, like other progressives and other moderates have tried to run and they've gotten destroyed. Uh, as far as Cinema goes, it's hard to know if another Democrat could win Cinema's seat. Now I know people like to point over and look at Mark Kelly, but the types of voters that voted for Cinema and the types of voters that voted for Mark Kelly are far different. And right now it's questionable with his approval rating if Mark Kelly's even going to win re-election. So I think that people have this fantasy, this delusion that the president can come and just shift all of this weight onto pressuring uh, people in these very at-risk seats. But the reality is they know that they're not going to be out-competed by another Democrat. You know, the only thing that they might do is they might just switch to become actual Republicans. They might just switch party. But they're not actually going to be threatened by another Democratic candidate in either of these areas. Okay, so to me that sounds like the reason why Biden can't do it is because he's not actually an authentically popular president and that the only, re the only thing he was able to run on was basically that he wasn't Trump. He didn't actually create or rally a movement behind him that will support him and, and um, execute his, his sweeping vision, the one that he promised on the campaign trail and which uh, was used to at least garner some votes for people who just want, not only wanted to oppose Trump, but believed in this, all of these promises Biden was going to make. 
Um, why did he make those promises in the first place then? If, if what the actual positive platform he ran on is not popular enough among the American people, that it didn't create a movement that can be used against uh, the old guard, I mean, what does that say about Biden's presidency uh, and his uh, significance as a leader overall? I mean, we can argue all day what it says about him, but I think it says more about the American public than it does about a particular leader. Um, we can say that Biden isn't authentically popular, but he got more votes than any president in U.S. history. Now, we can argue that's just because Trump galvanized the other side, that Trump made people go out and vote against him. I guess if you want to argue that, we can. Uh, but I, I don't think that Biden's issue with passing his platform has to do directly with the popularity of his platform. I think that most of the pushback that he's facing is going to be in places where there are Republican strongholds. So in West Virginia or Arizona with Manchin or Cinema. I don't think it's fair to say that Biden's platform isn't popular among Democrats when the main obstacles that we face are in the Senate that are right now overrepresented with Republican senators and then moderate Democrats. I don't think that the average Democratic voter is going to be against, you know, expanding uh, Medicare, Medicaid, or is going to be against an increase in the minimum wage, or is going to be against the uh, added protections of unions, or is going to be against things like mask mandates or uh, vaccine mandates for OSHA. Um, I think that all of the opposition that we're seeing here comes from the Republican establishment, and I don't really know if it's fair to blame Biden for that. Well, if you look at people like, um, for example, FDR and other leaders, they were also facing voters who traditionally voted one way. And for some reason, presidents like that, or candidates like that, were able to address the reasons why people would vote that other way, and, and he was able to turn them. What has Biden done as a president and as a leader to address the reasons why, for example, people in West Virginia uh, would lean more conservative? Now, we know that the people in West Virginia, I mean, economically at least, it is within their interests to support a program and policies uh, that one may call, I don't like the term, uh, progressive, right? They want government to help in the economy and so on and so on. Why is it that they vote, in your view, uh, conservative in the first place? And why can't Biden address uh, this contradiction? So one of the big dividing issues right now between left and right has to do with energy. And my understanding is that in West Virginia, they're pretty old or conservative in regards to their views of the utilization of fossil fuels, especially coal, I think. So on the left, you have a lot of pressure to modernize your energy systems. You've got a lot of pressure to cancel pipelines, three major ones, the Keystone Pipeline, the, uh, there were two other ones, have already been canceled in the United States because of mounting political pressures. And then you've got um, Biden also saying things like, I think we stopped all new drilling on federally owned lands. When you've got a lot of push from, from your party internally to kind of like curb the fossil fuel exploitation and to kind of move in a greener direction, and then you've got some states that still have a lot of their economy based around or centered around fossil fuels, that's a pretty difficult position for Biden to navigate. Um, I, don't, I don't know what your suggestion there is. Well, this is an easy way to alleviate all of these people's concerns. You could argue that it's through stimulus. He's already done that in multiple ways, multiple times. Um, I, I don't know what else, I don't know how else Biden is supposed to appeal to those voters. Well, if I recall correctly, Biden's party, the Democratic Party, uh, I forget who said this precisely, but I think it's maybe Hillary. If I recall correctly, the record is that they told the people, for example, of West Virginia and these coal miners, that the alternative that they're going to present them upon cracking down upon this uh, fossil fuel industries uh, is that the suggestion they gave is that they should learn to code. So how has Biden alleviated these concerns among the workers of West Virginia that uh, they are going to have uh, 
suitable replacements for these old jobs. I don't know what the federal government can do in terms of replacing those jobs. What do you, what do you think, what is something the federal government can do? Um, well, I mean, there is precedent for the federal government for, to provide people with jobs when there were none. I mean, uh, during the New Deal, what was this called? It was uh, something civilian jobs. I don't for, They did, uh, there were fe overreaching federal projects to provide people with work uh, to do. Um, you know, there are there's examples and precedents of countries addressing uh, systematic and industrial changes to provide people new sources of income and, and new types of jobs. So this is something that is within uh, the realm of possibility for the federal government to do. I mean, I don't see why that's so uh, outlandish. So I'll ask again. So, like, what are examples? Like, I don't, I don't know what the federal government is supposed to do for all of the fossil fuel workers in West Virginia. Are they all supposed to become mailmen or...? Uh, no, I mean, um, th first of all, there is a lot of work, for instance, that needs to be done as far as actually building real infrastructure in this country. Which we I mean, did with an infrastructure bill, hopefully, right? Well, it, the point is, there's work to be done, right? There's definitely work to be done uh, uh, that these people uh, can do as an alternative. I mean, there's new industries that are emerging. There's new sectors uh, that, that, I mean, the government's job is to guide people who lost their entire way of living and, and livelihood, having been the very source of trying to uh, crack down on the old kind. Do so you think the government should be like kind of guiding these people into newer, more modern jobs? Uh, yes. So would you say the government should tell these people that they need to learn to code? Absolutely not. Because that's exactly kind of what you're just saying, right? People that are but that's, that's that's not uh, that is not a type of job that is befitting of the skill set that those people already have. Those I don't know how much a, of a those people have a skill set that is uh, already from the heavy industries, and certainly heavy industry in general is not something that is being outmoded. Apparently, the old fossil fuel industry is being outmoded. So the government's responsibility would to be to guide these people to have new jobs that are befitting of the skill set that they already have. How, who is to say that any jobs that you're picking up at or, or any jobs that you're learning at like a fossil fuel plant is going to carry over to jobs related to green energy? I, it I doesn't, have to, be, it doesn't to have to even relate to energy specifically. Okay, then we go back to my central it, it question could, of for what, example, what else are they, what, what jobs are these people it, supposed there, to do? There's a multitude of possibilities. America's manufacturing sector has been on the decline for decades. It could be a renewed uh, form of manufacturing. I mean, there's multiple things. There's multiple forms of heavy infrastructure. I mean, sorry, heavy industry. I just mentioned uh, infrastructure. Probably West Virginia, of all states, is a state that needs a lot of uh, good and up-to-date uh, infrastructure. I mean... Uh, from engineers to... Uh, so, you're not going to retrain people that work at coal plants to be engineers, right? Yeah, but it's certainly going to be more possible to train them to do work with their hands than to say something... I mean, the whole learn to code meme just reflected how out of touch the Democratic Party was 
with these people and their way of life. I mean, I, I think that your comments, I think, I, I think illustrate how out of touch I think you are. When you say these people can work with their hands so we can retrain them in manufacturing. We still manufacture in the United States, but the manufacturers today are engineers and people that maintain robots. It's not people that are in factories That's not building true. It absolutely is true. That is not the true. The expansions to manufacturing and the specialization of manufacturing in the United States has come off of the back of modernizing capital and modernizing the automation that we have for these industries. It's not people that are in factories anymore building cars. This is why traditionally all of our big manufacturing cities, all of these states in the Rust Belt, all of our Detroits have kind of fallen and those jobs don't exist anymore because the people working those jobs are now white collar workers with college degrees and not people in factories a, a actually building machines. A large proportion of manufacturing is still done with, uh, with your, in the traditional way, not, not just by engineers and specialists. Now the reason you don't see that a lot in the United States is because those jobs have shipped overseas. But the type, of, it's not manufacturing in general, it's the type of manufacturing that currently prevails in the United States as a result of the trade agreements uh, like NAFTA and so on and so on uh, decades ago. Let's, I'm gonna, so despite being wrong on all of this, I'm gonna grant you all of this and we'll say that it is possible that these people can be magically retrained to work these manufacturing jobs that don't currently even Which have Which is the, one example. In, in, well, the only example you give me. But let's say, let's assume all of that was true somehow. In a Senate, we are divided 50 to 50. How is Biden supposed to bring together that Senate to one, agree that we need to cut fossil fuels, which is already something that's highly contentious in the United States, and then two, allocate the federal funding necessary that's probably gonna be in the tens or hundreds of billions of dollars to employ or retrain all of these people for other jobs? How would a program like that we're ever going, possibly pass in the Senate? We're going in a circle. The entire reason why I raised this was because we have to ask the question, why are voters in West Virginia voting against their own interests? You told me because they're attached to these old type of jobs which the Biden administration is against. Now you seem to be fixated on the question of uh, manufacturing as the only alternative. I, I just named it as an example. There's other examples. Uh, there, there is still a, a mining industry that's going to persist regardless of the end of fossil fuels. I mean, there's, there's a ton of examples that you could probably, uh, you could probably name. Uh, you can go into the nitty gritty of each and every one, but a reasonable, reasonable person would concede that there are alternatives. In general, there are alternatives that befit those people's skill set. I don't think that's such an outlandish and, and unreasonable claim. The idea that you can take people that are in their 40s or 50s that have been working in certain sectors for their entire life and just have them hop over and do something equivalent that's going to make them the same amount of money is probably not ever going to happen. I, I just Why not? Um, because historically, we tried to do this after NAFTA. Um, when NAFTA happened, our manufacturing specialized in the United States, and we shipped a lot of our supply chain south to Mexico, some things north to Canada. And what happened was, is we tried to spend money in the United States retraining some workers to do other jobs. And I think by the end of most of those experiments, what we realized was, hey, spending money retraining is actually a huge waste of time. It would have been better to just literally get, cut people checks from the government and just pay them not which to work. Other the jobs? What, what, what do you mean, which other jobs? Which other jobs were they retraining people? I, I don't know specifically what they were retraining to, but I know that NAFTA had. I, there was no major of effort on part of the there U.S. Was literally, government. There were Clinton. The administration literally had huge programs set up to retrain workers. There, there are there are big. There are at least two huge studies published in the um, 
in the uh, retrain the, them to the do what? National Bureau of Economic Research. I don't know what. I don't know the specific jobs they're retraining the, the, them to. The, the main... I did, I, all I know is that the money spent to retrain people, and this should be pretty obvious. If you've got a guy that's worked in a certain industry for 20 or 30 years, retraining them to do another job in a few months or six months or even a year or two is going to be really difficult to do. The, and at some point after NAFTA, people decided, you know what? For retraining a lot of these people, they would have been better off just getting checks from the government instead of the massive amount of money the, they were spending trying the, to retrain them. The problem them. is treating it as a matter of re-specialization when the whole point of these jobs that were shipped overseas was that these were general jobs that the average Joe, for example, the baby boomers, they could just go and do at right out of high school. So the question isn't, do you retrain them to learn to code or these overly specialized uh, professions? The question is, how will the government help establish a new type of standard, uh, standard uh, job? That's the not the, that's not the world we live in anymore. Those jobs don't exist. You Why not? Because capital has gotten, you should believe this, is a leftist, right? Capital has gotten more efficient, has been able to deliver higher productivity per employee because you only need one person to run 10 robots than 10 employees build a car. This is all relative. You could say that, you could make the it's same. It's relative to the rest of the world. The, no, no, no. Historically speaking, it's relative. You could have made the same exact argument before World War II or before the New Deal because at that point, you did have a similar kind of situation where there wasn't really a standard middle class type of job. On the one hand, you had uh, this really proletarianized population. On the other hand, you had a ruling class. The standard type of job that I'm talking about is something that only really arose as the standard for the advanced uh, capitalist countries after World War II. I don't know. I don't, as, as a result. I, well, okay, hold on. I, we, we, there's, we have to engage in a huge level of, of self-delusion if we're going to believe that today Capital hasn't become so much more efficient and productive that a, that a single piece of capital per unit is far more productive than it was in the past and is massively outproductive compared this to workers of the past. This is comparable to like the mechanization of agriculture. It's all relative. As wait, wait, hold on. When you say it's all relative, what do you mean by that? That's an empty Increasing statement. automation does not actually lead to the uh, abandonment of the need for physical labor. What it can lead to is new types of labor emerging, as well as redu reduction of the overall working day, working week, and so on and so on, new which, labor, which I'm 100% uh, in favor of. New labor emerging is true, and that's happened, but that's why it's become increasingly important to educate our economy, because the new labor that's emerging has been the people that are maintaining or servicing those machines. That's the new labor. No, These not. are What is an essential worker in 2021? An essential worker isn't just people attending to machines. An essential worker is someone who attends to the shit that we're going to need um, when the apocalypse happens, uh, for instance, right? The people who are going to still need to be delivering uh, packages, the people who are still going to be unloading trucks, the people who are still going to be at uh, shipping centers. And, and so, so there are so some jobs that we Not haven't. Some. There are some jobs that we haven't replaced yet. But if I were to point to, like, say, agriculture, are we going to say that there's ever going to be a time when a field of people can make a competitive wage competing against a single John Deere machine? When, then how do you explain the, to this, the continued prevalence of low-skill uh, migrant agriculture in the United States up to this point? The, I, don't, I don't have to explain anything. The trend is explained in my favor. One of the largest growing reasons for wealth inequality today in the United States is the four-year degree. It is becoming increasingly important in American society and in the world at large that everybody needs to have a four-year degree because the level of education is necessary to compete in today's economy. You can talk to me until Wait, you're blue in the face about how there are people that unload 
load trucks. Yeah, but the problem is the demand for that labor is decreasing as more stuff becomes automated and it's becoming increasingly necessary to go to college to get an education to be competitive in today's workforce. Wait, but that didn't answer my question. You mentioned uh, the, how could you compete with a John Deere machine in agriculture, but the use of physical labor is still extremely prevalent in the United States up to this one. Agriculture is, is, is far from being fully or even uh, wholly mechanized in the United States. Do you think there are more or less machines today that have replaced physical laborers? More or less? More or less compared to when? I actually don't know. Compared to the past. I, I don't actually I can't have... To, I don't you have you the, don't know today if there are more or less machines. No, because low-skill migrant labor is so important for the agricultural sector in the United States that even as a matter of an inference, I literally could not tell you. Um, okay. Um, well, what's the... Uh... <laughs> What's the next thing, I guess, that you think that Biden could improve on? You mentioned uh, Biden's stimulus uh, relief package, uh, the American Rescue Plan, uh, and how this has cut childhood poverty in half, and how Biden has done so much to help uh, working families and so on. Well, it's curious to me because how would you address the overwhelming unpopularity of the child tax credit? Its approval rating is in the 50s among uh, America's uh, people, only 15% of recipients of the childhood tax credit said it has helped them significantly, um, whereas 64% uh, said it helped them a little bit. Um, as far as people polled about what's the most important part of the Build Back Better program, only 14% said that it was, it was going to be important. Now, I don't want to throw all these statistics at you, but we have to face the fact that inflation and rising prices probably have offset whatever accomplishment you think the childhood tax credit uh, has made. So I heard you quote me why so many people don't like the child tax credit, but then you point that it's got about a 60%, at least slightly positive view of it. Um, it helped I them mean, a little. Uh, yeah, I mean, it did help a little, but I mean, that's about all you can expect. It's, it, it wasn't UBI. It's not a $1,000 a month check that people are getting cut. Um, but, I mean, it still has a slightly favorable view. But, and for those that are getting the extra $200 a month or whatever, I'm sure it helps a bit. Um, it's not going to be the, the best thing in the world. or It's not going to be like solving all of their financial problems. And then inflation is a, a real issue right now. But I don't know how inflation is Biden's fault. And I'm not even sure at this point what Biden can do to address inflation. Well... This is another thing, this is a constant theme we're constantly getting with regard to um, making excuses for Biden. So on the campaign trail, Biden will make, I know this was before the inflation crisis, but Biden would make bold and sweeping claims like, we're going to shut down the virus. And he would say things like, we're never going to raise the white flag. And now, uh, more than 600,000 deaths later, apparently it's Biden's, it's out of his hands. There's absolutely nothing he can do. My issue is the stark contrast between the level of power being projected on the campaign trail and the sobering reality of the fact that the president does not actually have, supposedly, so much power. So um, when we were furthermore, what steps have, has Biden taken to address the inflation crisis? He, he has uh, actually engaged in record spending. Uh, and I'm not an expert in economics, but uh, it is my inclination that if you keep printing money and spending shit, inflation is going to make inflation worse, right? So, 
So I, if you're going to seriously sit here to argue that the president on the campaign trail, uh, you know, was more boisterous or seemed more bombastic or was making bigger promises than, than what he could deliver in the White House, that's unfortunately going to be true of literally every single president in U.S. history. Um, what I'm comparing Biden to is what other actions could he have taken once he got into office rather than what did he say on the campaign trail versus what he did now, unless he's actually completely flipped or 180 on some things. So, for instance, I think it's fair to criticize Obama when I believe he said on the campaign trail he's going to shut down Guantanamo Bay, and then he gets in office and he more or less does nothing about it for eight years for whatever reason. I think that's a fair criticism. Um, so, in terms of like what I can credit a president for versus what I'm going to attack a president for, uh, I try to say, like, well, what can a president influence? So the reason why I brought up things like the child tax credit, why I brought up things like the infrastructure plan or the second round of stimulus, because these are things that are within the direct control or purview or influence, at least, of the president of the United States. Now, when we look at something like inflation, which has many causes and is an incredibly complicated thing in society, I don't know what Biden himself could do to combat inflation. Um, we have the Federal Reserve that can increase interest rates, which I believe they're already talking about doing. But the Federal Reserve exists independent of the president. Um, the only other really thing that Biden could influence there is maybe um, cooling down the demand side of the economy, getting rid of the stimulus. But it seems like that same stimulus has been pretty important to keeping Americans afloat, whether we're talking about the unemployment insurance, the actual stimulus checks, the payment protection program. Like These things are important things that Americans have probably needed. Um, I don't know if it would be fair to say that Biden should have just cut all of that and then seen what happened. Um, I believe we tried that during the Great Depression. I don't think it worked very well. Um, if you think that there's something that Biden should be doing right now, to address inflation, which in my understanding is caused by a historic shortage of supply chain related labor across the world because of sickness and disease, and is caused by a historic shift in the types of spending that Americans are engaging in, where we're spending more and more and more money on goods and services, which is why we've seen things like the cost of goods on Amazon increase, but we're not really spending as much, I'm sorry, on goods, but we're not really spending as much on services, which is why you don't see things like um, say like uh, haircuts or airplane tickets increase as much. Um, what are things that Biden could be doing to address the, I guess, supply chain crisis that would make these things better? H how can Biden curb inflation? So when in, the, when in the history of the United States have we faced such an overwhelming national crisis, an economic crisis, and the response we're being given as far as the inaction, ineptitude, and powerlessness of the president is, well, he can't do anything, it's out of his hands. I mean. You say that all presidents are more boisterous on the campaign trail, which is true. But the great presidents uh, in the history of the United States, and great, I say, in the sense of what they were able to accomplish, they actually did execute very bold, sweeping visions upon uh, reaching office. And I keep bringing up FDR uh, because the crisis we're facing now is uh, proportionate to the crisis he came into office uh, trying to face. So that's why I'm holding Biden to that standard. But even if you talk about other presidents, Eisenhower, um, uh, JFK, or Lyndon Johnson, and so on and so on, uh, you can see the stark contrast. These were presidents who didn't just pass a little bit of some legislation upon uh, getting uh, power they were able to execute bold, sweeping visions with decisive uh, leadership befitting of the office of the president of the, the supposedly the most powerful country on earth. I mean, Biden's weakness and ineptitude in the face of this crisis, uh, in general, speaks to his failure as a president. Okay. 
none of that rambling had anything to do with my question, so I'm going to ask again. What can Biden do to curb inflation? Uh, am I the president? No, but you're critiquing the president. The job of the president is, is to gather a round of people who know how to do that kind of shit and fix it. I'm not the president, so I'm not sure why you're asking me like, exactly what Biden has to do to address the inflation crisis. So if you don't know the answer, do you think it might be possible that the issues that are causing inflation are outside of Biden's control? Um, no, I, I refuse to believe that the president of the United States can basically do nothing to address the, the inflation crisis. So to understand your point, you're saying that you know that he can do something to address the issue, but you don't know what he can do to address, to address the issue. I don't no know idea. exactly what he you, can do. No, no, not exactly. You don't even have a general idea of what he can do. Um, no, I think I have a general idea of what he could do. What's a general idea of how Typ Biden can address Typically, the way that you address things like inflation is you focus on uh, building uh, the real economy. So there's a distinction between real economy and fictitious or virtual economy. And Biden does not, uh, following a line of uh, neoliberal presidents, he doesn't actually recognize that distinction. He collapses everything into... Uh, so, for example, the way Biden has responded to the crisis we're facing is he's just throwing money at shit, right? But has he actually addressed the underlying source of the value of money, which lies in the real economy? So Biden has done nothing to actually bolster our real economy. What, can Biden, what is the real economy, and what can Biden do to bolster the, the real, real economy? The real economy is more or less our heavy industries. So what does Biden need to do to bolster our real economy? Um, Biden needs to promote new heavy industries at the expense of the old ones that uh, the, the monopolies who are beholden to the special interests that lobby for him and, and uh, fund his party, uh, to which his party is be beholden to, he has to do things that come at the expense of the established special interests, including Wall Street and the financial capitalist class, which benefits from the decay and the rotting of America's uh, real economy. So you want Biden to essentially create from thin air with a 50 vote to 50 vote, slimmest majority possible in the Senate, a whole new heavy industry that on its own wouldn't even necessarily address any of the issues of inflation. <laughs> if, um, I don't understand how, if, one, if, this is like a, a literally impossible. If, you can if, keep comparing them to FDR all you want, but at, you can go and look okay. at the majorities that FDR had if, in the Senate and the House. It's a totally different Biden, legislative arena if, to try if, to compare the two. Oh, hold on. And, and then the idea that like just none of these things seem to have anything to do with inflation. You're talking about promoting new heavy industry. What new heavy industry that what? That's still going to have to ship goods from overseas over to the United States? That's still going to apply upward pressure on prices for goods that are being shipped from overseas? This is literally where all of the pressure is coming from for inflation. I, I don't understand why you think this would affect, you, unless you're you, talking about creating new industries to ship things. You claim that this is the source, but when you have a broader picture of the source of inflation, it's clearly a crisis of uh, the U.S. dollar that's coming to a fore. That has been predicted for many, many decades by people who recognize that the, the currency, the United States currency, isn't backed by anything real. So we don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of that because it's a distraction. But your uh, claim of knowing the re of a complete cause of the inflation is questionable. Now, as far as Biden creating heavy industry from thin air, uh, that's not what I said. He has done nothing to take action like other governments in the world to promote these new types of industries and promote the real economy at the expense of our corrupt ruling class. And if Biden positioned himself in that way, he would have a popular mandate even more powerful than Trump's. 
he would be able to get these Democrats to fall in line. I mean, if Biden were to position himself against the corrupt status quo that is preventing uh, Democratic leadership from pursuing uh, bold, sweeping changes like this, there's no doubt that the problem he's currently facing would not be a problem. Why do you People think like Manchin would not be elected in the first place. And these old uh, Democrats in this contested territory, uh, there would be no threat of the Republicans. The Republicans win because they're populists, right? So Biden does not have a popular mandate. He doesn't have a popular uh, base for his presidency and his support. That's why he can't do it. So why do we think that the reason that Biden can't pass an agenda is because a corrupt, of a corrupt status quo and not just a legitimate division in Americans when it comes to their future vision of the country? Because this corrupt status quo has rigged a vicious game of, being, of politicians being able to shift the blame for their incompetence and inaction to the constituency and to the voters. So for example, when Democrats are unable to get things passed, conveniently, they are protecting this entrenched status quo and this uh, corrupt ruling class, all because, well, voters in West Virginia are a little bit more conservative, and that's why Manchin can't um, afford to vote for these bold, sweeping changes. It's a game of shifting blame to the constituency, when in reality, uh, it's the only the corrupt ruling class that is benefiting, not the constituency. Yeah, so uh, everything you just said is just... So, so that, for wait, example, you nothing, blame... Nothing, nothing, all of this is nonsense, so right? You, you blame, can't, you can't you blame there the is, constituency. There, there is a legitimate division. You blame the constituency, there is but a the, legitimate the division only people who are benefiting Senate. are the ruling class. The constituency there, doesn't benefit. Then why are they voting the way they do? Why do they continue to support Because they have why been they? duped to vote against their own interests in a way that benefits the ruling class. Okay, so in the, in the worldview that you've constructed, People either agree with you or they disagree with you because they've been duped by the ruling class. There's no other okay, alternative. There's no, there's, no, there's no room that maybe there might be genuine disagreement sure. among Americans for how the country should be ran. Okay, have these Americans who supposedly authentically disagree, they're not being duped or manipulated whatsoever by the ruling class and by these politicians, how have they benefited from these things that they supposedly believe in? Well, if they're Republicans, they benefited because their social agenda has been pushed. So, for instance, things like trying to fight against well, abortion. Let's talk about meat and potatoes, things that actually affect people's lives. You can talk about meat and potato things that actually affect people's lives because as a Marxist, it's the only thing you care about. But the reality is, is there's a lot of single-issue voters in the United States over things like evangelical issues. As a Marxist. Over things like social issues, okay, over sure. things like abortion, over yeah. things like, is my president supporting an LGBTQ agenda or whatever? These are, you might, they, you might not like actually, these issues, but... For a lot of Americans, there are a single issue, but I'm trying to answer your question, okay? There are a lot of Americans that do vote a lot on social issues. They're very important to some Americans. If you want to talk about just meat and potato issues, then we need, no, need look no further than West Virginia, where you've got a ton of coal workers that are looking at a Democratic Party that has been presiding over the shutdown of three massive pipelines or pipeline expansions in the United States and that are promising to renew all of our energy sectors into green new energy. And these fossil fuel workers are looking at that potential revitalization of the energy sector, and all they're seeing is their jobs being threatened. That's why you've got the largest conglomerate of unions in the United States, the AFL-CIO, has even come out against things like the Green New Deal because they're worried about the future of their jobs. So to try and say that, like, oh, well, look at the meat and potatoes issues, they're all just dumb, brainwashed Americans, that's not necessarily true. I think there are legitimate reasons for workers in some of these industries to be concerned about the future of their jobs when you've got Democrats that are getting a lot of pressure, internal and external, to revitalize the entire fossil fuel sector and make it green in a way that might not be compatible with the workers that already exist in that sector. 
Okay, so the Democrats are cracking down on these old industries, supposedly. Supposedly they're cracking down, right? We're supposed to believe that. For Were some pipelines not canceled? Hey, don't interrupt me. I didn't interrupt, interrupt you. You did they're interrupt doing me like seven times. Yeah, yeah, but I let you, I let you talk eventually. <laughs> yeah, after I showed it So it's it my enough. turn now. Yeah. So they did this because um, they're supposedly acting on behalf of what's in everyone's interest. But if they can't reconcile this with what's in the immediate interest of these uh, West Virginia workers, why is that? Why can't Democrats provide a suitable alternative for the, we're gonna go in circles again, for these West Virginia uh, workers uh, when they're pursuing this agenda? Because they're remaining entrapped in this vicious cycle where they're leaving these people with no option but to back the conservative uh, fossil fuel industries because they have no alternative, right? And that conveniently just so happens to benefit the sources of revenue, significant sources of revenue, for the Democratic Party. So it's like in, in the form of um, these industries and these, this ruling class that benefits from it. So this is a, a good example, actually, of what I'm talking about, of the vicious cycle of laying the blame on the constituency. Now, as far as this as a Marxist stuff, as a Marxist, all I would say about these social issues and these ideological issues that seem to divide Americans is that they're just an interface for meat and potatoes issues. I mean, social issues are not things people care about in and of themselves. They are signifiers of social differences. When you're, for, for example, coming out against um, you know, this environmental bullshit, you're signaling to other people that you're part of some kind of same social group and social class. When you're more pro-LGBT uh, or more pro-progressive on social issues, you're basically signaling oftentimes, and this actually can be proven directly, uh, socially, that you represent the urban, educated, uh, professional managerials and so on and so on. Not to say that those issues are inherently tied to those classes, but that's just the point. These are signifiers of social uh, differences that are based on meat and potatoes. And this can actually be proven based on how inconsistent people are attached to them um, and how you can almost entirely pin why people attribute significance to them on the basis of basically social signifiers. So the problem that you're running into is you're trying to say that Democrats can't get through huge roadblock X because they haven't given us all of solutions Y. But the issue is a lot of Americans don't even agree that X is an issue. This is the problem that you're running into. You keep trying to say, well, Democrats can't give an alternative to what these fossil fuel workers are going to be doing once those industries are shut down. That's absolutely not true. The Green New Deal basically outlines the idea behind federal jobs guarantees and all sorts of other things to try to give these people um, jobs afterwards when, when, that, when those industries get shut down. But the problem is something like the Green New Deal is incredibly controversial, even within the Democratic Party. You're trying to say that because Democrats can't, Democrats can't give you an ideal utopian world for these workers, after this huge change goes through, they have no solutions to anything. But the reality is, is a lot of people in America don't even agree that that change needs to go through. Half of America probably doesn't think that climate change is a real thing that's driven by man-made causes. When you have that big of a division in genuine American opinion, genuine voter opinion, the idea that these people are supposed to come together on a solution to a problem they don't even agree exists is ludicrous. And then to take that a step further and to get conspiratorial and to blame it as like big business and big interest and try to say that that's the reason why lawmakers in Congress are opposed to it, when you can find a genuine division in American people over these issues, is just nonsense. Um, so you're saying Americans agree it's not even an issue, but what happens when the workers of West Virginia are faced with the crisis of the fact that things cannot go on 
as they used to. Is this, is this an inevitability or is this only because the Democrats are going to arbitrarily crack down on these ind industries? Isn't there sources within the market itself that are leading to a decline of the viability of these industries, the fossil fuel industry? What, can you say that? I don't understand what you just said. Isn't the fossil fuel industry declining based not only on the political factors, but also based on the market factors? It's starting to, yeah, with a lot of government incentivization, yeah, on sure. the other end. So when it comes to what you're saying, well, they don't even see it as an issue, do you agree it objectively is an issue, whether they uh, suppo supposedly see that or not? Yeah, be, well, is it course. an issue for them and for their lives? I mean, I would say that it is, of course. Okay, so if it objectively is an issue for them and their lives, then it is reasonable to assume you can somehow persuade them to see that or at least then you, why don't uh, explain you be that on, to them in a way that makes sense to them. Then go on the campaign trail and explain to all the people in West Virginia or in any other fossil fuel heavy state that, hey, Maybe green energy is coming in, and it's going to be uh, good Joe, for you guys. Well, that's, what, that's precisely what Joe Biden was supposed to do, and he failed utterly in doing that, which is why I view him as having a disastrous record up to this point. Okay, um, so one of, big, one of Joe Biden's principal failures was that he wasn't able to convince the Republican Party that fossil fuels would become outdated. Don't say the Republican energy. Party. We're talking about the on-the-ground, working-class constituents of Joe Manchin and other potentially Republican On-the-ground, working-class people don't care about climate change. Well, does it affect their lives objectively? It might in the future, but right now, for somebody earlier that was talking about meat and potatoes issues, are you really going to try to tell me Hold on. that an average like nine to five worker is coming home Wait, thinking about CO2 just, levels in the ocean? You just said happen. that as far as uh, that's concerned, it is starting to objectively affect their lives because of market <clears throat> signals, not necessarily because of some abstract agenda about climate change. The market signals might have gotten there on a broader state level for some energy programs in some southern states so far, but that doesn't mean that the average American is feeling the pressure of climate change such that they're ready to take action. And Not change climate change, but a shift Even in the a shift use of in energy. energy. Okay. I think most of the major shifts in energy have come. I think California is a big state, maybe Arizona, Nevada. I think it's these southern states that have like a lot of sunlight in them are the ones that are able to most adapt to these um, solar panel basically things. I know in the Midwest, I think they've got a lot of wind energy, but I don't think this is making up a very high percentage so far of American energy yet. Not enough for people to see a difference. So what you're basically saying is that the only reason workers in West Virginia would ever see, uh, the only reason for why this issue is going to affect them is because of climate change in the future. It might be prices as well, but if you're going to talk about how eventually market signals are going to move an economy. I'm saying they already are. I mean, they are starting the price to, but, of but, gas, but then all you're going to have then is in five years or 10 years, when, when that starts to happen more and more, you're just going to have an entire fossil fuel industry whose workers are now out of work. I, so I don't understand okay. what this is supposed to solve. Or so, what. so the whole point is, why can this not somehow be conveyed or made sensible to the people of West Virginia themselves. Have the Democrats done a good job of doing that? Because all of these issues are highly divisive issues in the, in the American political economy. So you're saying they don't have the trust of those people? Sure, it might be that they don't trust the government. It might be they don't so trust the it? Democrats. It might, I, I don't, there's, it's probably a wide variety of reasons why people don't believe in certain things. But when I ask, so when you ask me a question about what can be done, and I say there's a wide variety of possibilities, I, I can only tell you that. But when I ask you, it's like, do you not see the double standard here? 
You can't asking, give me an example. No, 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 no. Hold on. I'm asking you, what can Joe Biden do yeah. to give alleviate? Give me an example of why. So, hold on. Give me an example why the Democrats can't convince the workers so of West I'm Virginia. So I'm asking you, what can Biden do to solve or alleviate yeah. inflation? That was a question I asked because you said he should be doing more to solve or alleviate yeah. inflation. And you're asking me, why do Americans have opinions about a particular large social issue or large economic issue? These two questions are very different from one another. Well, be, if they were floating heads in the air, maybe it would. But the question is, why do these opinions contrast so, uh, so uh, greatly with what you would probably agree with, or maybe you don't agree that there's such a thing, as their objective interests? For, I mean, it depends on what constituency you're talking about. So for some people, there might be social interests that override an economic interest. For other people, they might genuinely be voting against their own economic interests, but they're not necessarily aware of it. For other groups of people, say rural versus city people, we're talking there about might the be greater economic... In, we're talking about who? The people of West Virginia. Even within West Virginia, there's probably some divide amongst rural or city voters. I don't know exactly the what workers all the of values. West Virginia in the oil industry right now. Okay, so you're so what is your specific question? You're asking me why aren't they on board with green energy? Why is it, if it is supposedly objectively in their interest to be on board with the government's uh, agenda to crack down on the uh, fossil fuel industry, why why are they opposed to it? My guess is they're probably opposed to it is because there's a ton of historic industry and there's probably generations of workers that have all worked in these areas and they don't want to see those areas threatened. That'd be my guess. But it is objectively in their interests, according to you? I, I don't like using the word objectively. So but no, I, mean, you I would say it probably is, yeah. But, that, but people don't but generally think... But you think it's think, just subjectively and it's not objective? I would, I would argue that objectively it is, but people are pretty short-term with their approach to things. They don't really think long-term generally. People are going to do what, what is in their best interest in the short-term and generally maximize for that, rather than thinking like, well, maybe if I sacrifice my jobs today, maybe my children's future will be better. That's not generally what people think, because they don't know if in the future things are going to be better for them, so if, especially if the government doesn't have a great track record okay. of taking care of people that have been displaced sure. in certain industries. So here's a question for you. If the former President Trump um, went to the people of West Virginia and said, hey guys, listen, we got to pack it up. This uh, type of industry is not working anymore. We're going to get you new jobs. We're gonna get... Do you think they would be more trusting of President, sorry, I can't say that, former President Trump uh, than they would have of uh, Mr. Joe Biden? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, answer uh, what you really think. Would they be more Probably trusting? Probably not. No, I don't think so. Probably not think? around this issue, no. So when it comes to this, they would be just as much skeptical of Trump Probably, yeah. as Joe Biden. These diehard MAGA people that are in West Virginia, these workers of West Virginia, you think they wouldn't so trust my, my, I have three Trump. good examples for this. Trump promised an infrastructure bill. It never yeah. came. Trump promised a repeal and replace of health care. It never happened. And Trump is literally telling people to get vaccinated, and he, get boot, he gets booed at his own rallies. No, so when I, you try to present to me here, Trump is this idealistic um, idol who people will literally worship and do whatever they say, these MAGA-worshipping Trump people. Like, Americans do certain things, but they're not going to blindly follow a leader into everything when they have contradictory interests to do so. I just gave you three really good examples where it seemed like no, well, no, Trump can rule the United States. I gave you three. One. Where Trump can rule the United States and get his agenda done. That's not always going to be the case. No, if the Trump one, were to come out and say, listen, guys, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels and we're going to go green, energy after that contradicts all of his prior messaging and he can't even get people to take vaccines no, he, he, i don't think that people in west virginia are going to jump on board to put up a whole bunch of solar he, he, wait, panels wait, wait, wait. and to axe all of this their is, old factories this, and turn it into detroit yeah, 2.0 i don't think that's because that's an issue of signaling if he said green new deal and use this 
uh, COVID. It's not about the word. You're, you're, yes, it is. You're it absolutely is about that. Right now. It absolutely. We're on some high levels of copium. It, no, it absolutely is about that. If he were to use these uh, Democrat uh, political coded uh, words like Green New Deal and stuff, obviously he would be signaling to his constituency. He could call them American Freedom Solar Panels, whatever he wanted the, to. Uh, he uh, still wouldn't get support. Hey, for hey it. guess what? It's the same when it comes to vaccines, too. The reason he gets booed when it comes to vaccines is because his signaling to his constituency about vaccines isn't very distinguishable from the kind that the mainstream media is giving It absolutely is. He calls it the Trump vaccine. So what? He still is signaling the same type of message. Oh, you basically, you have to get vaccinated. That is inherently something that's become politicized. And, and you don't think him saying we have to revitalize our energy into green energy isn't something that's been politicized? He would not word it that way. Why couldn't he word the vaccine differently? Why do you think he can word that differently, but he couldn't for a vaccine? Um, he, could, he can't for the vaccine right now because the vaccine is inherently politically decisive right now. How, how, how would, what, I'm, not to push you on the specific, but how do you think Trump could have worded the green energy to be more palatable to the Republican Party? He wouldn't, first of all, he would not say green energy because there's no reason to think those are the types of jobs people would have in West Virginia. Green energy is not relevant. What he would say is that this old energy is dying, these corrupt special interests or whatever, we're gonna get you brand new shining jobs. Say, say some shit like that. And I think people would be on board with it. Okay, maybe. I, that would have been a, an interesting world to see, I guess. Um, I mean, you don't think that Trump's constituency would be more, the question is, would they trust him more on this at least than Biden? You said no, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, they might trust him a bit more, but it's not going to be enough to get anything done here. Like, he, he still wasn't even able to get his agenda passed as much as he wanted to in office. I don't know Which why. Which agenda? I named two huge things. He wanted to get an infrastructure plan passed. He wasn't able to do it. He wanted to repeal and place health What were the main and, obstacles to his uh, infrastructure plan? <clears throat> getting enough votes in, in the Senate and the House. From the Republicans? Yes, they had majorities in both. Okay. And which Republicans were an obstacle to Trump? I don't know the name of the, every... They're called the so, rhinos, right? Yeah, you, Trump calls everybody that doesn't vote with so, him a rhino. Exactly. So what is happening to those rhinos as they're facing uh, re-election? I, I don't know. I haven't followed all of their elections. Do you think that... But I'm guessing given that Trump had a way bigger majority in the Senate than what Biden has now in the House, probably all of them aren't replaced. Like, Okay, but how, do you think that a lot of them have been replaced? I, I don't know. I haven't followed every election. I'm not sure. Okay, well, do you think it would be reasonable to assume a lot of them have been replaced given the direction of the Republican Party and what it means now? I have no idea. Okay, well, the whole overarching point is Trump named them. He said these are the rhinos who are getting in our way, and he was able to actually signal against them and rally his constituency against them. And now Trump's word as far as his endorsement of Republicans has become so decisive. It's an integral part of the That's Republican Party. That's not always party. true, though. Really? Look at the special what? election with Roy Moore. That guy didn't, that guy got destroyed, e even though Trump literally threw everything he could behind Hold him. Hold on. I didn't say that Trump supporting someone is going to guarantee him they're going to win. Okay, because it sounded it like you said almost me, exactly Hold on, that, no, but. because what I'm saying is it seems to me that if Trump does not support a Republican candidate, they're almost guaranteed to lose. I, I don't know if that is the case, but um, I haven't followed like Trump appointed or Trump supported candidates recently. It, if the there's election. a, I would be so, so, there has to be only the smallest type of exceptions that get, the Republican Party is, would you agree, the party of Trump right now? I think there's a huge divide right now in the Republican Party over whether or not they're the party of Trump. Hold on, there's not a divide in the Republican Party so far as its constituency is concerned. 
There's a divide as far as the old uh, established uh, neoconservative and so on and so on elements within the Republican Party, not within the actual constituency. If you, whether or not you want to call it the party of Trump, we're going to find out in the next election cycle. But to say right now that anybody knows, like this is a question that's well, up no, in the we air do for know. Everybody. We do know that the Republican Party's overwhelming source of support is the MAGA movement. Without the MAGA movement, there is no Republican Party. What, it, what, it, what does the Republican Party represent right now except Trump? I can say that, but there were also a hey, historic amount of Republicans that left the party post-January 6th. So, so I think it's, a, all, really yeah, it's became, a really complicated question. You can't pretend to say that you understand the entire these, makeup of how these, the Republican Party is going to vote in these, the next set of the elections. The Republicans you're talking about are the... Um, suburbanites that were already going over to the Democrats anyway because oh, okay. of the political there's like a, There's an excuse or a reason for everything. There's a reason for everything. I thought you were the hyper-rationalistic guy who believes... I'm not hyper-rationalistic, but like when you have a worldview that collapses in every single question, hold on. So but then you have a according to you, you can give to make okay. it work every single time. So, so, you're talking on. about how Biden could have passed any agenda Biden. he wanted to with a 50-50 split of the Bi Senate. Uh, sorry. And then you're saying, well, Trump couldn't do it even with uh, 58 or however hold many on. Republicans Destiny. because there were rhinos in Destiny. the House. Like, there's Destiny. an infinite number of excuses Destiny. for Trump, Destiny. but for Biden, there's no reason why he can't do every single thing Listen. he wants to with margins that are like 20 or 30 votes less than what FDR had, and you're constantly comparing to him. Hold on. There's like an excuse or a reason for every you just gave, you just gave a, a reason for something, therefore it's coping. Destiny, for someone who says every time you give an explanation or reason for something, that that means you're coping, you literally go on these contrived diatribes with the rapid Bro, you've been speed, rambling, like, with, with, with the rapid speed of Eminem Rap God, trying to like give all, a, 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 um, a multitude of complex explanations for every single possible fucking thing. How could you say that when I give a simple explanation to something, when you impose a question that this is somehow uh, coping or, or you always have a reason for something. Sure, well, I can, yeah, when you impose oh, a question, I'm going to answer your question. Okay, so the difference between you and me is I will give a broader narrative, and then when you ask me for explanations about it, I will say I'll support it, and I'll support it, and I'll support it. When you give a broader narrative, I'll say, this doesn't make sense, that doesn't make sense, and then you have like a we caveat to... or a reason for why. Well, okay, there's an exception here. Oh, there's an exception okay, let's here. Let's go back there's to the meat potatoes here. of what I just gave an explanation for and why that was inadequate. Sure, I think it had to do with whether or not Trump could fundamentally rally Republicans in a certain direction for something, despite the fact that he wasn't able to accomplish no, much legislatively. No, it was about why Republicans, as you said, left the party in January 6th. And you're saying that the people that left weren't true Republicans? They were people the that were going to The people that left, anyway? because of their social class, and I don't want to be too ideological, but let's just be pragmatic about it, those were the suburbanites that the Democrats had been banking on since the 2018 midterms elections who were already swaying over to the Democrats. So both sides... There are more people in American politics that are like more moderate than there are people in the extreme left or the extreme right. That's not to my try point. To, to try to say that the people that switch were just people that were towards anyway, everybody is as more a the mass, in America. As politics. a mass, Republicans who are disillusioned with Trump are an identifiable mass. There's a consistency as far as their social background is concerned, which is they are the new kind of conservative suburbanites who have been swaying more Democrats. It's not like January 6th happened, and all of a sudden you just had a bunch of Republicans going, hold on, I was on board with this whole MAGA thing completely with no mixed feelings, but now this is too far, I'm going to the Democrats. No, those are people who already had mixed feelings and were already flirting with the Democrats. And that's the point I made, and when I gave that point, you said you always seem to have a reason or explanation for everything. Well, so, yeah. I okay, mean, so then you're, so you're so saying the, the, the Republican fact, Party... The fact that Republicans have left because of January 6th 
does not speak to a real division within the Republican Party. It speaks to the fact that there were elements within the Republican Party who were already, again, because of the political realignment that's happened, going to the Democrats. That was my Aren't you point. just describing a division in a party? When no. I say there's a division in the party, and you go, well, there's not a division in a party. There's just elements of the party that are attempting to realign with the other party. Wouldn't that be there's a division a in a party? Hold on. There's a political realignment, and a minority who are already going over to the Democrats left. Okay, I disagree. That's not, a, I, that's not a conflict no, for the soul of the party. That's a, con that's a conflict <laughs> between the Democrats and the Republicans. Within the party itself, there's no real division. What elements within the party are going to be able to challenge Trump and say, hey, everyone who joined the Democrats since January 6th, um, we're going to change this republic. It's, it's dead in the water. There's no fucking way. I don't, we don't know that yet. That's what everybody is looking forward to. Nobody knows for the next So you are seriously entertaining the possibility that there's going to be a new Republican Party led by, I don't know, Lincoln Project. It's not that there's a new Republican Party. It's that right now, I think there is a legitimate huge division in the Republican Party over how people view Donald Trump. I oh, think there okay. is a large sect of the Republican Party that is still And by division, Trump. do you mean the actual constituency or these old... Uh, Corrupt politicians. I mean, the actual voters themselves, I oh, think, okay. are very torn on whether or not they do or do not support Trump. I don't so think why, the vast majority of Republicans so all are take, all gung ho. All it should take is, all it should take is uh, uh, the soon-to-be president Jeb Bush to rally half of this Republican. I never party. said it's going to be a Jeb and, Bush. Well, that's it's as ridiculous as what you're saying. So you're you think that right Repu now the Republican Party, every the majority of the constituents are lockstep behind Trump? Absolutely. Then why do they boo him at his rallies when he talks about getting vaccinated? Because they're even more to the right of Trump right now. Okay. There's no division within the Republican Party. Okay. Are we I mean, those are then? people who are even more hardcore Trump than Trump himself. How can you be more Trump than Trump himself? You just gave the example, the whole vaccine shit. Okay. I mean, if we represent Trump uh, in terms of the division within the Republican Party, do you think the Lincoln Project people are going to boo vaccines? Because those are the only people within the Republican Party who are posing as an alternative to Trump. I think you've had big figureheads in the Republican media establishment that have been pretty against Trump for the entirety of his election. Okay, so, and you talked about January 6th. Do you think that the people who are upset over January 6th are gonna be anti-vaccine? Last question, I'll give you a chance to answer and then we're gonna jump into the Q&A. I don't know what the makeup of the people are that left the Republican Party. Of course Party they're not. The people who are upset over January 6th are going to be pro-vaccine because they're going to be more pro-establishment. plenty of questions from the audience. So. If you have any questions, please come on up. If you want to speak into this microphone, this would be the place to do it. And then in addition, a couple of things. One is we've kind of tried to open up this middle area so that there can be kind of like a two lane kind of road here so that you can walk up this way and also walk down this way. That way you don't have to go over the cords. And then the second thing is we're going to bump the infrared versus Dylan Burns debate up to Probably about one o'clock is when we're shooting to have that debate, just so we can get everybody to their flights in time. All right, thanks for your patience. Floor is all yours. All right, this is a quick question. The debate was titled, Did Biden Deliver Well? And I missed the initial few minutes of it, uh, but what I heard was excuses why Biden did not deliver well, not whether or not he did. So if he delivered well, can you provide some sort of evidence for what he has delivered. 
So I think that the child tax credit under the coronavirus relief was good. I think that the stimulus that he gave, the second checks that came when he came into office was good. And I think that the uh, bargaining to get both sides together to pass the infrastructure bill were good. I would say that those are good. Oh, and then pulling out of Afghanistan finally. I would say that those are big accomplishments that Biden himself can take uh, credit for. Uh, thank you for coming, guys. You both did great. Um, early on in the debate, this is the bye-bye guy, and I could be completely wrong about this, but Destiny, um, you believe that like a president should primarily be focused on like breaking the divide of Congress to get things done that otherwise wouldn't be done? Like Biden is good because he gets things done and passes good policies. And Haas, um, you believe a president should primarily be focused on being a leader with strong principles that serve as both a guide and representative of the will of the people. Biden is bad because um, he's out of touch with the people and he does not adequately co convince and build trust with the working man. Um, if my analysis is generally correct, can either of you respect why the other might have that criteria, or at least can you try to steal man each other's position? Uh, my criticism of Destiny, in a broad sense, has always been that he treats political, he doesn't know when to uh, divide political realities between subjective and objective. He treats certain realities as objective and set in stone that actually rate, relate to a subjective political will. So for example, he'll say, oh, we can't do this because this is what the American people want. But he never poses the question, why do they want this? And I think maybe this is where maybe my Marxism may come in. And he, you, I am open to people opposing this, but uh, I think there should be an explanation for why do people vote the way they do um, or have the opinions that they do. I think there's an underlying reason that's not just a superficial ideological appearance. That was the steel man version of my argument, so I'll give the uh, steel man version, I guess, of his side. The reality is, is that the vast majority of people that you see online engage in politics do it as a form of recreation or hobby, and the funnest stuff to engage in are people that are wild on Twitter. At the end of the day, the vast majority of people online that talk about politics don't give a fuck about what's in a bill, about what the government is doing, because most of us are wealthy, most of us don't care anyway, we're isolated from the broader uh, economic issues that face most of working class America, so it's more fun to talk about a president as a leader, as somebody that's really bombastic or awesome on Twitter, than it is to see, well, what kind of legislation does the person actually pass? What kind of measurable improvement does the person actually make in the lives of Americans on the ground? So I think that's why people online that do politics are way more interested in a Twitter version of a president than somebody that's actually passing legislation. Hello, gentlemen. Um, I wanted, I, I know on Super Chats we're usually allowed to say, so I want to thank uh, James again for hosting this. This was a great, since yesterday from today, uh, from participating to the debaters. Uh, I really appreciate it. I know this is definitely needed and I appreciate you. And I wish us good fortune in the future for more debates. Uh, quick question, um, or uh, all political parties just got eliminated. President Infrared, President Destiny, what is your first objective? What is your first thing you want to tackle? Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? The first thing I would tackle, I'm going to have to give you a very broad answer because the question is very broad. But the very first thing I would tackle is uh, the crisis of the American dream and the American way of life. How are we going to reestablish a baseline form of way of life and income similar to the one that was after World War II? So I'm concerned with Americans are losing their way of life. How can we make sense of this chaos and arrive at a new normal? More or less. Um, if I was God Emperor, are we saying like President President or like God Emperor President? Okay, if I was God Emperor President, I think the three huge things that I would, or the four huge things that I would focus on is, number one is I would destroy all the zoning laws 
in the United States because the way that we zone this country is a fucking nightmare. Um, I think that we, we need to have way more mixed-use zoning. I think that that would... Uh, address so many broader problems in, in our society. It would help with public transit, it would help with density of cities, it would help with um, uh, like the cost of housing, uh, it, it would help with getting labor to the right place. There's so many issues that can be traced back to our atrocious zoning in the United States. Um, I think that healthcare is something that we should be able to provide to all of our citizens. It's something that every other country seems to be able to do. I don't know why we haven't figured that out yet. I would say that guaranteeing education for those that are capable of succeeding in it is probably a good idea um, without a ton of debt as well. And then I think that having uh, expansive uh, labor union laws, so maybe bringing back some closed shop states or, or, or laws in those states, uh, making it so that people are allowed to uh, form stronger labor unions and bringing back some of the older uh, strike laws, I think would probably be good as well. Because uh, it seems like capital has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger, and you haven't seen the same increase in representation on the rights of labor side uh, historically in the United States. Uh, you both did great, so thank you for uh, doing this debate and all that. Um, so my question is for uh, Infrared. You kept bringing up earlier in the debate about how Biden is like a weak leader and he can't convince people to do anything, and that you made references to FDR and Eisenhower. So my question to you is, do you believe that the country is as united as a people under, as they were under FDR? and Eisenhower, and hell, even Bush W. Uh, and I'll just take my question out there. To me, one of the ways to measure the greatness of a leader is their ability to bring people together in times of great division. Uh, Lincoln did this. Um, FDR, in a sense, did this. So to me, that's how I would measure whether it's someone is a good president or a good leader in the first place. So you think that these leaders brought the country together from a division rather than piggybacking off of a uh, kind of a united against a particular front kind of a situation? Is that what, Can you that clarify what you mean? So the, the Great, Great Depression, Depression brought the country together in order to address the Great Depression. After World War II, there was this great euphoria in the country about how we just won World War II and we have to rebuild the world because we're the last man standing. 9-11 brought the country together under Bush, and a lot of people rallied so around the flag. Common, why can't the common crisis that we're all facing bring this country together? A good leader should be able to bring the country together in a way that is proportionate to the crisis we face. What is the common crisis? That's what I would ask. The common crisis we're facing, you don't think is a common crisis? Compared to, like, would you say that Bush was a great leader because he unified us after 9-11? No, Bush was a great deceiver. Um, okay. Because, well, we don't want to get into the nitty gritty of that. Sure. So, but, what is the great, what is the unifying crisis right now that we have? Um, well, I know you're really allergic to this phrase, but what they're calling it is the fourth industrial revolution, um, the breakdown of the old traditional American dream and old way of life, and the entrance into a new era, the end of American global hegemony, the rise of a multipolar world order. I mean, all of the, these things. Everything you're talking about, do you think the average American working class person is perceiving this? They are not articulating it on these terms, but it is objectively affecting them. Okay. Um, so, Haas, um, what could Biden do in the future to change your opinion of him? And, Stephen, um, what was the worst thing that Biden has done that you may acknowledge? So, as a Marxist... My view of politics is that it is a form of uh, warfare. It's a form of social warfare. So I don't 
<clears throat> I don't believe politics is just this place where we execute policies in a very neutral way. And you know, that's not how it works. Politics is class warfare. So for me, for me to change my opinion of Biden, he has to position himself differently within the current class warfare uh, dividing the country. He has to position himself against the special interests, the corrupt status quo, the monopoly, um, the monopolies and so on and so on, and hedge his bets in the working man. And when he does that, sorry, <laughs> if he does that, he will never do that. Uh, to me, he will be a, a, an admirable leader. Do you, uh, do you want me to repeat my question if you if you go ahead? No. Uh, can, am I allowed to answer like, can I answer like Haas does? <laughs> what was the worst thing that Biden? So, I think that Biden's biggest problem so far is I think that he's failed to establish himself in kind of the subjective sense of the working class, such that I don't think that these people are able to kind of tangentially relate to him in a way that intersects with the American system and understands the oppressive forces that Americans face today in society. Is what I would say. So only destiny can make comedy out of his lack of education. He does the work for me. That was a very elitist take by Haas. Realistically, I think that Biden's biggest problem is I don't feel I like vaccines. I think everybody should be vaccinated. But I think that pushing for vaccine mandates via OSHA, even if I think I might agree in principle, I think politically is not a good idea because there's such a divisive issue in the United States. I don't know if it's worth it to expend political capital on that right now. So it's more like a, a question of political strategy. Not sure 100 percent how I feel about that at the moment. Um, that would probably be my biggest criticism. Yeah. Uh, hi, for both. Um, I wonder what you think about uh, how much Joe Biden can do when the Republican Party basically ahead of time says they're not going to work with him on anything and that there seems to be no hope of swinging a Republican senator, for example. It's like just a pass that, well, half the Senate's not going to do anything at all. Let's blame the other half that nothing's getting done. Yeah, so again, again, it's a vicious cycle of shifting blame to constituents. Biden is the leader of the Democratic Party. He cannot blame the Republicans for anything. He's only responsible for the Democratic Party. If the Democrats are unable to win a majority from the Republicans, uh, that's their fault. If, if half of the country is voting Republican, you should blame the, if the, and if the Democrats wanna blame the Republicans for obstructing their agenda, the Democrats alone are to blame for not being popular enough. Now, one can make the argument that the reason they can't do that is because um, people are just set in stone with their opinions and, and, and beliefs, and that's why they vote Republican. But when you go ahead and just admit that it is actually objectively in people's interests, supposedly, I don't even know if I agree with this, uh, to be on the side of the Democrats, I think it's ridiculous, it's preposterous that they would blame the Republicans. Why have they done a bad job in doing something that should be easy, convincing people to vote on behalf of what is supposedly their objective interests. All right, so thank you very much, gentlemen. Let's give them a round of applause. Fantastic debate. Really appreciate it, you guys. We're gonna take about a five minute break and then we're gonna get started. So thanks so much. Thrilled to have you here and looking forward to the next debate.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.